All right. Praise God. This is like, I don't know, last 10 years, I would say six of the 10 years I was preaching on Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, <laughs> last year I was actually preaching in uh, Santa Ana, our Santa Ana campus. So like there's 900 seats. We have having three services and 1230 service, there was 100 people, and I was like, hello, 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 you know, <laughs> echo <laughs> through the room. So I'm glad that you showed up on Super Bowl Sunday. I was talking to Adam. We ran into each other at, uh, uh, at uh, Ryback Ranch for an event, and so we were in the lobby, and he said, hey, we're going through this series about faith and work and how it intersects, and I think the principles that you shared in your book might be applicable to the series that we're going through. And I believe it is complimentary. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing with you some of the principles from the book. When I was growing up, uh, my parents, and maybe if you're my, my age, I won't tell you, but you can guess through the message. Uh, <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty up there. But like, can our parents, they worked their jobs like 40 years, 30 years. Same job. My uncles, that's how they did it. Same job. When you got a job, especially a job with the city, you worked that job till you died. That was the, how you did it, right? And so, but we live in a very different economy. Things are fluid. It's changing all the time. The skill set that you have today may not be the skill set that allows you to get paid tomorrow. Things are changing. There's globalization. I mean, you can do everything possible within your uh, uh, ability to stay current with even all your skills, and globalization could come, and then that job is gone. And so change has become a part of just surviving in the culture that we live in from an economic perspective, and sometimes that change can bring about anxiety. Sometimes that change represents giants in our lives as with that change we hear voices often coming from internal in our own heads about how we might not make it or how this will bring anxiety upon us and that becomes a giant and some of us maybe it's not changing careers or job but changing seasons of life in other words, going from a single person to a married person can bring anxiety. Change can come in many forms. Maybe you're moving from college into career, and that change brings about some anxiety. Maybe you're moving from career into retirement, and that brings about anxiety. Change is about what life is about today. So I wrote this book to encourage us in those seasons of change. When it seems like things are out of control, to let us know that God is in control. So no matter what stage you are in life, I believe as we unpack these principles, and I titled this message uh, to pull out some of the themes from the book, Hearing God and Slaying Giants, a spiritual and practical and tactical view of work and faith. We're going to take our passage from Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read from verses 7 through 13. We'll have a word of prayer and then see what God might want to say to us this morning. Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, 
and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will go out no more And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to your throne of grace. And I know if you get a word to me, that you can get a word through me. And I ask that you would do that, that you would unpack this text. Help us to see it in all its clarity and truth. Help us to walk in the precepts that we learned this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is an interesting book, the book of Revelation. It is a book that literally has a built-in blessing for those who simply read it. The Bible says, blessed are the people who read the words of this prophecy, we're told in chapter 1. But it's the only book unique in this way is that it gives us a spiritual UPS tracking system. It tells us literally how the letters in chapters 2 and 3 or how this prophecy came to us. It came to us from God, the Father, to the Son, to an angel, to John, to the pastors that are in the book. The book, in terms of its context and structure, and it's important for us to understand as we walk into through the message, is broken up into three sections. The first chapter of the book is a chapter that gives us codes that allows us to unpack the rest of the book. Chapters 2 and chapters 3 are letters to seven churches. And then from 4 on, you get into what's called sort of eschatology. And you use those codes to sort of unpack it. Now, that's where a lot of the anxiety with the book comes. When you say the book of Revelation, people think Mark of the Beast and 666 and all of this kind of stuff. And many of us stay away from the book. But if we look at chapters 2 and 3, it's very crucial. It's very practical uh, exhortation and instruction to fit wherever we are in life. My wife and I, we do counseling with couples, and usually we give them a homework assignment, and the homework assignment is usually a, based on our assessment of where they're at, is a church to read from chapters two or three. And we say, go home and read Revelation, and they go, Revelation, what are you talking about? That's what you want. Yeah, but then they read that, and then we apply the lessons. Well, we believe that this Uh, message today as we look at this church of Philadelphia from a historical context and begin to walk through it, we'll see it has a great message for us in our work life. So let me start with this sort of historical context of uh, where we're going to go today. We're talking about the church of Philadelphia. Now this church was a church that was facing both liars 
and haters. We know from verse 9, it says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, and they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down before your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. So they were facing these liars from the outside. But as this barrage of uh, 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 venom, of words describing who they were, were, it began to infect them on the inside. And they begin to see themselves as insignificant. They begin to see themselves as weak. Now, let me ask you this. Lies hurt. But when a lie is mixed with truth, sometimes doesn't that hurt a little more? See, here's what was going on with this church. There, there was a lie. The overall assessment was a lie. But there was some truth to the lie. The lie was simply this. The Judaizers were saying, hey, you're a bunch of nobodies and you're not God's people. Well, that was a lie. But there was some truth in the lie. They were, from an earthly perspective, nobodies. They were a small church. They were an insignificant church from an earthly standpoint. And so the truth mixed with the lie began to get into their heads and begin to mess with their heads. And on face value, they could not repudiate the things that were coming at them. They were looking at themselves and they were saying, yes, we don't have any levers into humanity, in, 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 humanly speaking. We don't have ties into the elites and to uh, the people and the shakers and the movers. We don't have any connections there. And so they were thinking to themselves, we have a little bit of strength. And we're really weak. And what is the remedy for that problem? That's the first point I want to sort of unpack today. How do we navigate work and faith in these precarious and difficult times? How do we do it? And here's the key. It's about the revelation, not the situation. It's about the revelation, not the situation. There is a revelation of God that always trumps the situation that you're in. With all of these churches, it always has the same pattern that God reaches out to these different churches, same pattern. He sees and assesses their problem. He says something different to them, but the pattern is always a revelation of God from chapter 1 that speaks uniquely to what they're experiencing. But it's always the same pattern. There's always a revelation of God to speak to the situation that they're in. Now, what was the unique revelation from God that this church of Philadelphia needed and that what maybe we need today? There are three things that uh, we see in chapters three that come from chapter one that is the revelation of God that they need. There's three things. One, God is holy. Two, God is true. And three, God has the keys to open doors and the locks to close doors. Let's start with the first one. He that is holy. Now, why would they need to know that God is holy? First of all, let me unpack what holiness is. When God says he's holy, I need to under, unpack it because many of us come from different church backgrounds, right? Right? I grew up in a fundamentalist sort of Pentecostal background. So when you said holy, what holy meant to me was how short your dress was. 
Holy meant to me was, did you wear lipstick? Did you wear pants? Did you go to the movie? Did you go to a concert or whatever? That's what holiness was for me, the context in which I grew up in. But when God talks about holiness from a biblical perspective, God is talking about his otherness. When you read holy and it's referring to God, it's really talking about the otherness of God. Let me see if I can bring that out by uh, going to Mary's example. Mary the Magnificent in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Let me just read an excerpt of this. It says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What is she calling out? What she's saying is, is that who would pick a teenager for this assignment? Nobody other than God. God is so awesome and powerful and mighty. No other person or being would choose a teenager for this. He's saying, I'm very lowly, but God picked me. And what God is trying to communicate to this church of Philadelphia is, is the reason that you have a seat at the table is because of my otherness. Because I choose the weak things. Because you don't have a lot of strength. That's the reason I can choose you because of my otherness. The next thing God says is, hey, he who is true. Now, why would they need to know that? Well, basically, true in the Bible and the Greek could be true, as in true false, or true as in authentic. And what it's used in this context is authentic. What God is saying, I'm legit. In other words, if I tell you something, my name and my person, they match. Back in the day, we used to say, you're selling wolf tickets. Some of you guys are old enough to remember that. What God is saying is, I'm not selling wolf tickets. In other words, whatever I say, I can back up what I say. I'm legit. So if I'm saying I'm all, all, I can be everything to you, I can be everything to you. And he wants them to know that. And then finally, he says, hey, I got the keys. That's a reference to a passage in Isaiah chapter 22, if you want to look at it further. But basically what he's saying is that God is the gatekeeper, that God is the final authority, that whatever God says, that's the final word. So God is saying, I have the keys. My daughter, who is very, very, very wise, she's my daughter. <laughs> but when she was a little kid, she would, I would always tell her, I would say, sweetheart, I call her princess. I say, princess, when you get grown, when you, when you grow up, daddy's going to buy you a car. And she would look at me and she would say, keys too? I mean, she knew you couldn't do nothing with a car without keys. And here's what God is trying to tell this church. is that listen, I got the keys. I'm the ultimate gatekeeper. Success or failure is more about who God is than what we have. And that's what he wanted to get over to them. So then how do we navigate uh, uh, work and faith in these precarious and, diff precarious and diff difficult times? There's a principle that I learned early in my life, and that's what I want to really camp out and share with you. It's a principle called uh, the open door principle. And if we want to be successful in these very diverse and dynamic and polarizing and, and really perilous times, we've got to adopt the open door principle. 
He says in verse 7, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. You have a little strength. The open door principle is simply this. It's not about your wit or your strength, but God's ability to open doors and our ability to see and seize the opportunity when the door is open. Let me paint a picture first mystically, because we're going to look at this sort of mystically, practically, and tactically. But let me first paint the picture mystically. When he says in verse 8, see, I've set before you an open door. It's not just see as in, you know, sort of look. Like, for example, I can go outside and I say, hey, see the sun? And you look at the sun. But there's been times where I've been maybe on vacation or my wife went somewhere, and we see the sunset, and we look at that sunset, and we see the glory of God. In this context, when you see in your Bible sometimes behold, what it's trying to draw us attention to is that you're looking at the manifold wisdom of God, that you're seeing something that God is doing that's really amazing. And, and God is trying to show this church, though they were small and insignificant in the world's eyes, he says, see, there's something I'm going to do with you that's amazing. He says, see, I set before you in verse 8. Basically, I set before you, he's, anybody understand the concept of a hookup? What God is saying, I'm trying to give you a spiritual hookup. I set before you an open door. I'm going to give you a hookup. Now, I learned these principles again early in my life. I was a college student at UC Irvine. I'll never forget it. I had taken one computer science course as an elective. I went into school as a criminal justice major. I had been there for three years. I was now married and had a baby on the way. And let me just be quite honest with you. I was so broke, I couldn't pay attention. That's how broke I was. <laughs> and financial aid was depleted. I was at the end of my rope. Next move was calling mom, and could you, can, we, can I move back into my old bedroom, you know, with the woolly dolomite poster there? You know, that would have been a bad look, right? And so I was like, God, you got to help me. You got to help me. I had one computer science class I had taken. But you know, faith without works is dead. So I went and I got the yellow pages. Yes, I'm that old. I went and got the yellow pages. <laughs> and I began to go through every computer science company that I saw and recognized there in Orange County. I was living in Orange County. And I had the same script for every company. I would call the company, whether it was TRW, whatever it was, and I said, hello, my name is Daryl Brumfield. I'm looking for an internship in computer science. <sighs> Nothing was working. But faith without works is dead. And I said, I'm going to keep going. I just felt, I, I, I felt God want, might want to do something mystical. So I called Hughes Aircraft, Newport Beach. Hello, my name is Daryl Brumfield. I'm looking for an internship in computer science, expecting the same response I got for the num numerous companies I had called before. The lady says this, Daryl Brumfield where have you been? 
I almost dropped the phone. <laughs> so collect my composure. I says, I'm looking for the internship in computer science. She says, Daryl, come in as soon as possible. So I put on my Sunday best. I will never forget this. I walked into Newport Beach. There's this fancy lobby for Hughes Aircraft there. And I walk up to the counter and I say, hello, my name is Daryl Brumfield. I'm here for the computer science internship. And the lady just looked at me. She goes, Daryl, where have you been? <laughs> at this point, it's like the Twilight Zone. You know, dun, 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 dun. I, I, I'm thinking like that. And she says, go sit, and the hiring manager will be with you in a second. I go sit down. I'm thinking as I'm sitting, trying to remember everything I learned in computer science in that one class. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to be real with you, right? At that moment, I really didn't know the difference between a for loop, a computer science term, and a fruit loop, the cereal. I didn't know. I just, I didn't know. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there. And the hiring manager comes. He takes me into his office. He did not ask me one computer science question. Not one. He asked me a bunch of questions. Daryl, do you fish? Do you golf? You play tennis? You know, and I was like, and I didn't tell him that. But I was like, man, I'm from Compton. I don't do none of that stuff. <laughs> and so he hires me. I start working. Three months go by. I'm just staring at the computer. Because I don't know nothing. At, at night, I would, like, whenever they would tell me stuff, I would write it down, right? And then I'd go to the library. Again, I'm so old, I had to go to the library. There was no Google. So I had to go to the library, look up the terms, so I would always be a day behind whatever they asked me, you know? So... So I'm staring at the computer, and one good thing is, like, in, in computer science, it's like if you're staring at the computer, you're thinking, you know? So that's what they were thinking. <laughs> Three months go by. The guy calls me into the office. I go into his office. I sit down, and he looks at me. He goes, um, Daryl Brumfield just called me. Who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm Daryl Brumfield. He said, yeah, but Daryl Brumfield just called me. Apparently, there's this other Daryl Brumfield. He got in a car accident. He was calling to let them know that he was okay, but he couldn't take the internship. Well, the manager just couldn't believe the story. So, <laughs> so he says, Daryl, we already allocated the budget. You could be the intern. And for the rest of that year, the top engineers in the field, these guys were putting up satellites and all that stuff. My only job was to ask them questions. You see how God can work? Mystically. I mean, I was, God just opened the door. Sometimes God, if we just take that first step of faith, he will open the door. But again, the voices. There were times in my career where the voices was there. And then after that, I'll never forget it. I'm working at this company. Now, remember, I started my career without finishing my degree. I only had one class in computer science. For many years in the field, I didn't have a degree. I had my high school degree from, from Dominguez, 
in Compton. So that's all I had. And so I'm working at this company. I'll never forget it. The, 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 everyone's looking for a parachute. The company's getting ready to go out of business. Everybody's looking for a parachute. I work next to this guy. He sits to here. I'm here. And every day he would come in and tell me. It was like a countdown. I, I, got, I got four more, more weeks. I'm going to get my master's degree and so on and so forth. And so a lot of people, everyone had a master's or bachelor's degree, and one by one, people were getting jobs. And first, I was confident I'm going to get a job, but I didn't get a job. And after a while, it began to weigh on me. I began to think I got a little strength. I was like the Church of Philadelphia, and I even stopped applying for jobs that I knew I was qualified for. Well, this guy, he came in just happy one day. He said, Daryl, I found a perfect job. He told me about their stock options. He told me about everything about this job. I said, man, that's a pretty good job. I said, do they have any openings? He goes, Daryl, I'm sorry. They would never hire you. And at first I was like, is this a black thing? What's going on with this dude? And, and he sort of picked up on that. So he goes, uh, Daryl, I'm sorry about that. Uh, um, um, really, it's like, the job requires a master's degree. And I know you don't have a degree, and, and then everybody there is a, it requires a master's degree. Says, so so, so that's, that's what it was about. I said, but would you give me a reference? I said, sure, sure, no problem. He sits here, I'm sitting there. They call me, the reference for him. I pick up the phone. I give him a glowing review and everything. I hand the phone down, and then they call him. And he's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, okay. He puts the phone down and says, how'd it go? He says, well, they decided not to go with me, but hey, thanks for the glowing review. It was very nice of you. Then my phone rings. It's the lady from the company. I say, hello, my name is Daryl Brumfield. She says, uh, Daryl, did you just do a reference for so-and-so? Uh, I said, yeah. And he goes, you know, the hiring manager really likes you. They said they like you more than they like the other guy. Would you come in for an interview? <laughs> I go in for an interview. <laughs> Long story short, I get the job. Now, the point of that story, <laughs> watch this, is not that you shouldn't try to get a degree or whatever. All my kids have either a master's degree or, you know, a bachelor's degree. But sometimes we need to know that the master's decree will trump a master's degree. You see, we don't need to be paralyzed. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? If God opens up a door, who can shut that door? And so how does it work, though, practically? We look at it sort of mystically, but practically, how does this thing work? Well, Practically, let me give you some historical context. This church of Philadelphia was set up as a missionary city, but not in the context of what we would think as a church missionary. It was a missionary city that was set up in a secular context to spread Greek culture throughout the region. That was how it was set up, from a secular culture. So what is God saying practically when he says, look, behold, I set before you an open door. 
What he's saying is that sometimes the way God works is that he uses very natural mechanisms to accomplish supernatural things. In other words, they had set it up in a secular context to spread Greek culture throughout the region. God says, no, no, you're strategically set up to evangelize the world throughout that region. But what's the application for us? You see, we sometimes we're looking at stuff from a worldly context. Take, and I'm not trying to get political here, but take immigration. I mean, you could have a side or whatever and this and that, but how do you know that God doesn't, there's two ways to reach the nations. One way is for you to go to the nation. Another way is for the nation to come to you. And how do you know that God has not said, hey, I want to reach the nations. I'm setting before you an open door, and the way I'm going to do it is bring the nations to you. God wants to reach people in the Middle East. God wants to meet people everywhere. And he sets before us open doors that it might happen. I'm in IT for all these years, and part of it of my time, I work remotely. God set before me an open door. What did he want to do? Well, we planted a church in Bangkok. I could work remotely. God allowed you and me, as you look at your career, yes, there is a secular component of it, but we got to see behind that to see what is God setting up that you might be able to do ministry in that context. And then, finally, as we think about the open doors that God sets up, sometimes it's our pain that creates the open door. Sometimes it's the pain that God uses to set before us an open door. Sometimes it's our own pain, and sometimes it could be the pain around us. So many years ago, I was working in a high-rise during 9-11. And so imagine working in a high-rise during 9-11. It just happened. And after it happened, this, the, the company, uh, whoever's the building manager, they decided to have a memorial service. Now, someone tapped me on the shoulder, and they said, I heard that you're a preacher. And I don't know how they found out I was a preacher, right? I mean, it's not like I, you know, go with, you know, big sign on my back, preacher, you know, you know, and I don't have like the big giant, you know, tombstone Bible, you know, on my desk or anything, but somehow they found out, right? And so they come to me and they go, would you do a memorial service? That was a major tragedy, but God used it to open up a door. And so I did this memorial service. Huge high-rise across the street from South Coast Plaza, if you know that area, the whole courtyard field. And I'm just sharing some truth in that courtyard to comfort the people after 9-11. Well, in the courtyard, you know, I didn't want to get too, you know, deep as a secular kind of context, right? You know? And so, but God began to touch people. So for the next month after that, I would literally come to work, get in the elevator, and there would always be someone from that memorial service that would just start talking to me about their problems. <laughs> and i get on the first floor, and it's kind of like, you know, I couldn't just get off of my floor. I'm in the middle of the problem. <laughs> 
I was like on the you know second or third floor. But you know, some people they had a problem that stretched to the 18th floor, and so the problem is going up. And I'm just kind of sharing with them. And sometimes people are getting on the elevator, so we get off, you know, because it's kind of private. And so I have to deal with the problem on the seventh floor. Then we get back up, go all the way up to the eighth floor. Then I get on the eighth floor and. Someone would get in on the 18th floor and going down, and I'm working that problem on the way down. <laughs> and it got to a point that my boss, my manager, who got through another crazy story at work, uh, 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 used me in a way to introduce him to the gospel. So he found out about this, and he says, Daryl, I've been seeing this work on the elevator. He goes, uh... <laughs> He says, Daryl, I know because, you know, when you've been coming in, you seem like you're kind of rushed. And he said, look, God's doing something on the elevator. Take your time. <laughs> it got to where I was getting to work at like 1030. I get to work at actually 8, but up and down the elevator. <laughs> My point is, is that God sets before us. These open doors. But tactically, tactically, what does it look like? You see, in this life that we live, we are living life in one of three ways. One of three ways we are tactically living life. Whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. You, you live, live in life one of these three ways. And two of the ways are extremely exhausting. Today, we're either living our life as a lock picker, trying to use our wits and to outmaneuver the doors that God has closed, or the batter rammer, trying to knock down the doors the God is closed. But you see, there's a better way to live. And Jesus showed us how to do it. See, Jesus wasn't a lock picker. And I'm sure Jesus could have picked the lock because he was God in the flesh. But the Bible tells us he never did anything that he didn't see the Father doing. Even Jesus said, I don't want to pick no locks. I don't want to knock down no doors. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to see where the Father opens a door. And then I'm going to walk through that door. That's a better way to do it. We don't need a lot of strength and a lot of wit all the time. Sometimes we just need to wait for God to simply open up the door. I think sometimes, as I look at a lot of problems that we're having in the world today, some of them, the church is actually throwing flames onto the coals onto the fire. Why? Because somehow this idea is in our head that we have to be connected to seats of power. And we don't. God never called the church to try to be connected to power, to have a lot of strength. God says, no, it's not about being connected to the seats of power. It's about being connected to the vine. Because if we're connected to the vine, if we're connected to Christ, that's where our life and our strength come from. That's how we change the world. 
That's what God has called us to do. So, if we come to serve what of a close, if you take up this open door principle for your lives this morning, I can promise you two things. It's kind of like, you see Mission Impossible? They say if you take this mission, if you choose to accept it, if you choose to accept this mission, two things are going to happen. Here's the first one. Life is going to be so exciting. Why? Because you never know what's behind that open door. And the good thing about God, he ain't like, let's make a deal. Ain't no zonkers behind there. I mean, it's not like he going to open the door. Zonk? No. If it's his door, he open it. It's a good door. Door number three is a good door. Door number two is a good door. And one's a good door. If it's his door that he opened. And what an exciting life. I mean, so what? So what? They closed down the company. All that means is that God got another door. So what? This supervisor hates me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so perplexed. They're hating on me. Listen, there's another door opening. This door's shutting. This other door's getting ready to open. And then sometimes it's so good. Sometimes you be like, I'm trying to go through this door. That ain't the right door. I, I know that's true because sometimes I, I meet people that I was dating in high school and I was like, that ain't the right door. I'm glad God shut that door. That wasn't a good door. <laughs> Listen, it's exciting when you don't know what's behind these doors. Because God doesn't open and close with, on a whim. It's his infinite wisdom that allows him to open and shut these doors. But then the other thing is that if you take this mission... Just like this church, it says in verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. If you take this mission, I can't promise that you're going to be immune from temptation and trials and tests. He's telling them that. He says this open door principle, if you choose to accept, you are going to still deal with tests. But know this, you can't have a testimony without a test. And you can't be an overcomer if there's nothing to overcome. So he says, if you take this path, it's a turbulent path, but you'll be all right. And he gives them an illustration, historical context to that illustration. He says, you'll run in and out, and you'll be like a pillar. This area was prone to earthquakes. And earthquakes would hit this area all the time. And when the earthquake would, would happen, you know, uh, all that would be left sometimes was the pillars. And what God is saying is, the economy can shake, it could quake. Your relationships can shake, they can quake, but if you put your trust in me at the end of the day, when it's all over, you'll still be standing. You'll still be standing. And not only will you still be standing, but watch this. What he's saying here is you go in and out. In other words, you ain't got to worry about the aftershocks. 
Not only are you still going to be standing, but the aftershocks of the situation, God says, you'll be all right. So let me close this way. With what God says to all of these churches, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. You know, when we're going through this with couples, my wife and I, and whether we're dealing with this church or the other church, we always say, do you have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying? Not what my girlfriend's saying, not what this one's saying. What, the, what is the Spirit saying? And what he's saying to this church of Philadelphia, there's all this noise. The haters, the liars, they're all telling you the stuff, it's filling your head up. But will you hear that still small voice that says, I don't care if you have a little bit of strength. I don't care if you don't have influence. If I choose to give you the keys, if I choose to open the door, you're going to be all right. So don't listen to those voices that sap your spiritual energy and leave you feeling helpless and weak. Step up, face that giant, knowing that God doesn't open and close doors on a whim. And if he shut a door, you can't pick the lock anyway. If he shut the door, you can't knock it down anyway. So just rest in it. But the good thing is, if he opens it, how much strength does it really take to walk through an open door? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your throne of grace. You are so awesome in power and in might. And in life, in careers, there's change. But Father, we know that you are true. So if you tell us no one can pluck us out of your hand, no one can pluck us out. If you tell us that you're with us, no matter what, you're with us no matter what. So, Father, help us in these changing, turbulent, perilous times to allow you to be our anchor and to have the wisdom, Father, to acknowledge when you shut a door, to have the courage to walk through the ones that you open and to not listen to the haters and the liars, but to hear what your spirit is saying to us. Very head bowed, I, I always want to ask this question because I don't know where everyone is in their spiritual life. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to extend this opportunity for you to know him. Because you can live the rest of your life with this principle. The principle of knowing that there is a divine person who is in control of your life who has the keys, who can shut doors and who can open them. And if you want to know this person, it's as simple as accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. And doing that won't make you immune from trials and tests, but you will have a shepherd that will guide you through the open and the closed doors in this life. So if you want to accept Christ, now is your opportunity that you raise your hand and I want to pray for you.
So maybe there's someone today and you say, Daryl, I hear you. I got a door right now that I'm trying to pick the lock on. And I need to rest in Christ. Right now, I'm hearing these voices and these voices are saying that I'm helpless and that I'm weak. And today, I want to receive that maybe part of that is true. But the whole assessment is not. Because with a little bit of strength, God can make much out of little. And if today you want prayer to just rest in your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to trust Him as He shuts and He closes the doors in your own life, I want you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I come to your throne of grace. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters who raise their hands and say that sometimes we don't understand your will and we don't understand your ways, but faith, in faith we say, your ways are higher than ours. And Father, the doors that you shut we won't try to open those. And the doors that you open, by faith we'll walk through them. And we ask now for wisdom to know the difference between the two. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.